Welcome back to The Francisca Show, where we encourage fellow artists and entrepreneurs to collaborate and support each other while sharing their stories. I'm Francisca, a singer, composer, music producer, and also your host. It's still our birthday month, so thanks so much for celebrating with us. Just before we start, I'd like to share a few announcements. Number one, I'm running a huge giveaway with over 25 brands. So please follow me on Instagram for directions of the giveaway. My handle is Francisca Music. Number two, I'm looking for some help uh, doing this podcast, uh, potentially guest hosting, also editing and uploading and other types of work. So if you'd like to participate, please reach out to me. Number three, stay tuned for a release coming next month. It's a new song, a new music video to the words of Ezekiel Gadzel. If you'd like to learn more about maybe screening this music video at one of your events or classes, please reach out to me. I'd love that. And next week, there will be a No More Silence episode special. The following week, we will have a male guest, our first male artist guest, Simcha Liner. I think it's an amazing episode. There's so much to learn, and if you have questions, please reach out to me, and here's the show. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Thanks for coming back. If this is your first show, welcome. Today we are talking with Rifki Silver, a musician, writer, and speaker. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. We were just talking before we started recording and you told me how you feel like you got nothing done in the last five months since your baby was born, which I totally get. However, I feel like your name keeps popping up. You write and you have your website, your blog. So I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Give us a little bit of a background on your discovery and path to music and art and then to Judaism. Sure. So I started taking classical piano lessons when I was eight. Then when I was 10, I went to public school. And that's typically when the instrumental music program began, fifth grade. And so I started taking clarinet then. And I did well at it. So I started taking private lessons and blah, blah, blah. Long story short, I ended up majoring in clarinet performance in college and playing very competitively and thinking that that was what I was going to do for the rest of my life. I was also still very involved in piano and being an accompanist for the clarinet studio in my college. And I was just very, very musically involved and I loved it. And it really just was a huge part of my life. And you grew up in? So I grew up in Des Moines, Iowa, primarily, which Thank is- Thank you. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's unexpected. It's a very nice place to grow up. It's very wholesome. There is not a lot going on Jewishly there, which did not matter to me at the time because my my family was not Jewish. I'm a convert. So to me, it didn't matter that there was no Jewish life. It was a very nice place to grow up. When I was a freshman in college, my parents moved to St. Louis, Missouri. And um, so that has a larger Jewish community. And when I graduated from college, I ended up moving back home with my parents to try to you know figure out what my next step was going to be. And it was in St. Louis that I got introduced to Judaism through a, a whole hashkafa story. You can read about it. I've written about it online, whatever, if anyone wants to check it out. And that's kind of what steered me towards Judaism. And all of the energy that I had been putting into music, I started putting into Judaism. And so for a couple of years, I was much more focused on just learning how to be Jewish and learning about halacha and getting used to this new culture that I was becoming a part of. And because there was, um, 
obviously in, cl in the classical music world, most of the performance dates are on like Friday night and Saturday. So I thought at first that, oh, well, I just have to put my music away. I'm done with music. Now I'll just be Jewish. And music was like part one of my life and Jewish is part two of my life. Fine. Um, thank God I went to Neve Yerushalayim and Rabbi Shulkovsky there, the Manal, the principal or dean, whatever. He found out I played clarinet and he asked me if I was practicing every day. And I was like, what? No. <laughs> And he said, why not? And I said, excuse me? <laughs> like, what do you mean, why not? And I came up with what I thought was like the safest possible answer, which was because I'm learning Torah. That's why I'm not playing music. And he's, he like started muttering and like stroking his beard. And he said, you girls, you become religious and you think you can leave everything behind. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. And he looked straight at me and he was like, you have to practice every day. And I was floored. I it was very surreal because I had left my life and I had changed all these things around and I had thought I was done with music as a huge part of my life. And here I was in Jerusalem sitting across from this rabbi with his big white beard and he was telling me I had to practice every day. So it was, it was very unexpected, but it was also very comforting in a sense because I, as I continued to learn, I understood that you know, God gave me these abilities and I have almost a responsibility to use them. So I'm not going to be using them by playing in a classical professional symphony. Fine. But it gave me the idea that I need to find a way to use them within my own settings, within my community in a way. Um, something that I did notice though, and I've, I've encountered this with a lot of people who have classical training, who then come to Judaism through whatever way that they come to it, is that it's all well and good to play for, from events and for, you know, within the Orthodox world. And it can be very satisfying in a specific way, but it doesn't always fill that itch of someone who's played in an orchestral setting or who's played in like an operatic pit or who has played on a semi-professional level. So... I feel like for the past 10 to 15 years of my life, I've been kind of like chasing that elusive goal of finding that perfect balance of getting the like intellectual and technical satisfaction of playing something which is on the level of a classical professional piece, but still staying in the like environment and the atmosphere that I appreciate in the Orthodox world, which is I feel... I've come to appreciate how wholesome it is. There's not the backstabbing and competitiveness that I experienced in the classical world. And there's a more healthy kind of balance of understanding that like I have this ability, thank God, but it's really from God as opposed to like kind of, you know, the potential for a raging ego in a world where God is not in the picture. Does that make sense? For sure. A hundred percent. And there's so many things that you brought up that I want to touch upon. So let's just stop you here. Sure. Number one, I think you are our first convert on the show. Um, we definitely have a lot of uh, Bali Chuva and from, yeah. from birth. I would try to be as diversified as possible. However, now that I'm thinking about it, because we do talk about, you know, coming from the professional world and having the exposure to that real professional Forget about the professional, just the high that comes from such recognition that really does not exist in the firm community. Absolutely. Yeah, so I'll just make one point. One thing is when you're a Bali Chuva, I'm assuming, yes, part one 
of your life was music or dance or whatever it was, and then you transitioned to part two of your life, but you're never expected to fully reject your past. That's not part of the process of a convert. So for you, when you said that was part one, part two, that was much more of a mechanism or uh, it, it was a very conscious part of your life. It's something that you actually had to do in a very, right. very defined way. Exactly. There's like a point I was not Jewish and then I was Jewish. It's a very clear line. Yes, and you have rabbis and there is this defined formula of how to become Jewish. And part of that is literally rejecting the people who gave birth to you and raised you. But not rejecting, obviously, I'm sure having a relationship with them is a Jewish thing. But they biologically are not considered your parents anymore, which is an extremely difficult concept for many, definitely for me. It, it almost seems not humane, but it makes sense if you want to continue the Jewish line or become of it, there needs to be that official transition. Yeah. So for you, it was straight up, you know, everything I did in that life, there's no room for it because I had to actively reject all of it. It had to stay in the past, which for Bali Chuva is something that maybe is something between the lines or expected. It's not something that outlined is everything you did is not kosher anymore. For many Bali Chuva out there is still, they become from, and we've talked about this a lot, and they think you're not allowed to open up your mouth and sing, and they don't know how much you are allowed to do, which I'm hoping with this podcast, right. we're raising more awareness. It's fantastic that you're bringing so much awareness to it. It's so great. Thank you. Yeah, it's so important. So I, I feel like I spoke so much, but you're shaking your head yes, so I'm assuming those thoughts have all gone through your <laughs> mind already, but what can you share? if you'd like to add something to this. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that what you said exactly about like the having to almost completely reject everything in the past and then to move forward. I did a lot of, I had to do a lot of just work on making that a healthy transition, which I think is a big challenge for anyone who comes from like one, you know, one lifestyle to another, even if someone isn't a convert, but just the idea of like rejecting everything and everything being not kosher. And I feel like it can be tricky to do it in a healthy way where you can see, you know, what can stay and what cannot stay. Like I threw away all of my old records. Like I had like all this great, like Bob Dylan and the Beatles on vinyl, amazing, like great albums and everything. And I was like, oh, it's straight. Everything's not kosher. And I got rid of it all without understanding that like I didn't have to take like the most extreme right wing position to be a good Jew, you know, and it took me years to kind of find a balance. I even had someone tell me once that like there was an opinion that people shouldn't listen to certain classical music because like the cavados of the people writing it wasn't. And I was like, no, no, I just reject that out of hand. <laughs> like I can't, that's too much for me. It took me, an, I would say probably at least seven years before really being able to say that my past was my past. Sure. But it also informs who I am today. And I don't have to make everything just in the past and to kind of filter through and say, which things can stay and which things can't stay. Is my connection to music kosher? Is it gonna make me an egomaniac if I keep playing and people give me compliments? You know, what is the right way to do this as an observant Jew? Like what way does this work? It really helps that my husband is very normal. So like, I feel like that really helped a lot with just keeping me grounded and not being too overly concerned with doing things in the most intense and the most right way. Finding the balance between what, what from my past life can be like healthily integrated into from life. And I think this is something that 
a lot of people can struggle with of just finding that healthy balance because there's so many conflicting messages and there's so many ways to connect to God in a way that if it's not something that someone's already doing, if someone's not visibly doing it for you, you don't have any models of someone who's doing it, you may not know it's kosher if it's not something that's like a popular step. And so if you have like a skill set, and I feel like this is very common in the creative world, if you don't see, if you don't have a role model of someone being creative in a kosher way, you may just think it's not kosher, but it may be kosher and just no one's done it yet. And you have to be a trailblazer. I feel like a lot of creative women have to kind of be trailblazers and make their own path and ask the shilas and get the guidance to say, no, this is something that we can do as Jewish women. We're supposed to be using our creative abilities and we're supposed to be creating art and music and adding to the world in a way that's not just like, oh, I wrote a nice Jewish song, but it could be something that is even more abstract. I mean, obviously there's a huge need for writing beautiful Jewish songs also that people can connect to, but even just, if you just have a desire to write and you have the abilities to write music or to write words or to write, to create anything, you have almost an obligation to do it because that's an ability that you were given. For a lot of us who come to art later in life, it's like there's a reason why God gave you the ability and gave you the training and then brought you to Judaism. You know, like I often say, like, you know, God could have introduced me to Judaism when I was like eight and then I wouldn't have had all this musical training, but he chose until after I already had degrees and had studied and had achieved like a high level of ability. And then that's when I was introduced to Judaism. So that's not for no reason. There is an obligation I have to like use it. And if it means like playing in an orchestra, that's great. And if it means playing at my kid's sitter party, that's also great. So that's really beautiful. I like how you mentioned that. I, I would like to bring this down a little more historically, if I may. Sure. I feel like uh, music and the arts have always been a part of well, humanity definitely, but it's part of the Jewish culture. It's always been there. David Amelach played the violin. The women played on the tambourines when they were crossing the Yamsuf. Exactly. And I feel like persecution and war has distracted us and brought us back to physiological basic needs and restoring Jewish life. And it's almost yes. a luxury that we're at a point now where we could start thinking about creating these role models and trailblazers in the arts. It's the guilt I often have. People told me, you know, maybe you raise money online for your projects and I maybe tried and I wasn't so successful, but I also felt uncomfortable. I felt like people raising money for cancer or for Kirov or for Tom Chavez or all kinds of other things, the physiological, the basic needs before we get to the arts. I feel guilty asking money for this because it's such a privilege. However, it's a deep need and desire for so many. The arts exist, it's a human thing, and it's always been a part of the Jewish culture. And it's so beautiful for me to hear that your rabbi with a white long beard in Israel told you that you have to practice every day. You know, right. that's beautiful, I don't hear this every day. And we're bringing this back and we're post post war, we are bringing this back to the Jewish culture because it always existed here. And I love how you said that God introduced Judaism to you later on for a reason and you have your abilities that is your responsibility and obligation and privilege to share with the Jewish community. One more point I'd like to make, just because you brought up so many beautiful things. You said that the competitiveness that you spoke of in the mainstream world, in the music world, is not the same here, obviously. And I, I would definitely show it, you know, where there's level, there's competition. I mean, if there's a very competitive field, then yeah. For sure. 
How, but I was nervous when I was starting to get into this that there would be a lot more competition. However, my experience with the collaborations and with the Achtus, as we say, the unity between the community here, and it started with Atara really, that introduction into the unity and women supporting each other and artists supporting each other. It's so, it's so beautiful and I'm hoping there is some competition as well, and I think that's helpful and healthy. However, it's it's beautiful. I'm happy you brought that up, and I just wanted to take it up a notch and say how it's really out there. If you're listening to the show and you want to reach out, every, every, every guest on the show, I'm sure would be very happy to hear from you. I would also be very happy to hear from you. We're here to help. And I heard this also on business podcasts, non-Jewish podcasts, where people say most people like it when people reach out to them and ask them for help and mentorship. Yeah, even if, okay, maybe Bill Gates won't, but if you reach out to 20 people or 100 people, someone will say yes. So Exactly. Person behind the whatever, whatever ability or whatever business or whatever performance, there's a human being behind that, and human beings crave connection. Exactly. It doesn't mean you're going to be best friends, but it, it's nice to connect to someone else. Absolutely. And it's always nice to get feedback. I love getting feedback on anything, you know, on a performance or on a piece I write or whatever. It's just nice to get feedback because sometimes you put art out there and you just feel like it's just like, woo, going into the world and goodbye. You don't even know like what's going to happen with it or if it, if anyone even notices it or if anyone even likes it. And it's always nice to get feedback. Yeah. I have that with a podcast. I have no idea I was listening. And then randomly somebody at Chul says, oh, that podcast really was amazing. I'm like, oh, I, I never knew you knew who I was in Chul. <laughs> Here you are. You listen to my podcast. Thank you for coming over. I appreciate it. I really do. So now that we got all that fun stuff through, what do you actually do day to day with your art? I know right now things have shifted for you in the past several months. That does not exclude or somehow write off. <laughs> your entire I know it's so funny how like it can feel like you know when you're in the middle of a, of, of a phase like you know having a baby or getting ready for Pesach or whatever it is that like can be very like all-consuming it's funny how like I can get into this mode where like I forget like I ever accomplished anything and I just feel like this one day is like the complete definition of all of my everything <laughs> it's it's funny I have to remember to see the big picture also so thank you for for also reminding me of that um, so my, my day to day is I, I stay home. I'm a stay home, stay at home mom, as they say it. And I do a lot of freelancing work depending on how much time I have. I play piano for the day schools here in Cleveland I'm based in Cleveland. And so I do that. I do freelance writing when I'm able to, and I've written for a number of Jewish sites. That's nice. How did I even start writing? Because, um, when I, when I started a family, thank God, I, my oldest is 10 and I quickly discovered that I can't really practice when the baby is sleeping, but I can write when the baby is sleeping. So that's kind of how that started. And when my kids were younger, I was able to kind of like practice around them. And I still taught music lessons. And I tried to perform like at least two or three times a year, something big, something small, depending on what opportunities come up. And... You know, I've been in, I know that you had Ruchi Koval on your podcast a while back. So we were in this, she was in a band. We were in the same band together here in Cleveland. So that was fun. And I've played in like local community orchestras. 
basically I, tr I am always kind of like on the lookout for whatever can fill my musical needs and also still let me do what I need to do for my family. So that can be really amazing and also kind of really frustrating because I would love to be doing it professionally and to do it more, but I have, thank God, five kids and the oldest is only 10. So I, I'm required quite a lot at home still. And I like, I like the home stuff. I like doing the domestic stuff, but I found like the window of amount of time that I can really do my projects is shrinking. I used to like make videos and I used to do more with like writing actual music. And for the past, like I would say two or three years, I've noticed that I have to be much more disciplined with actually scheduling the time in and then actually doing it. I don't know about you, but I feel like sometimes if I don't have an actual performance date on my calendar, then I don't necessarily put the time in for the creativity. So I've been experimenting with different things like, oh, just write a song for 20 minutes. And then if I do that successfully, like for three weeks in a row, then I get myself like a, you know, an ice cream shake or something. You know what you should try? Collabing. Try to get somebody else invested in your project and then you're accountable to someone and you have a deadline or just working with someone makes you have to finish it. That's why I... I like that. I, I put out a collab with Boris Schwartz. It took us... Okay, a few weeks of planning, one week of execution. My projects I work yeah. on by myself. If there wasn't Yom Tovim that I felt like that's my deadline to release for that time of year, I don't think things would yeah. get done. So maybe try that. I will. That's It's funny that you mentioned that because I actually have a friend who also used to be in the band and we're kind of being, we're being um, accountability buddies because she's got a project she wants to work on and I've got a project I want to work on. I want to write some more original pieces for clarinet and record them. And so that's kind of the goal that's on my... Um, but if you're invested in the same project, that raises your chances at completion much higher. Exactly. We do have... I have a performance, God willing, scheduled for um, Hanukkah time with this friend. So we're going to do a nice collaboration. So that's exciting. And then I did a variety show in my house seven or eight months ago. I just had like a little variety show in my house where I had some like five performers, like two writers, an artist, and then I performed some music and then a couple of friends of mine performed some music. And it was really nice and intimate and small in my house. Like, I don't know, 30 people came maybe and it was like suggested donations. And one of my friends whose husband cooks made the food. And it was just a nice kind of informal, low-key performance setting that the community, that ladies in the community came out to. And I felt like it served like a nice need there. It wasn't like a huge concert that you had to drive 20 minutes and find parking and then do that whole thing. But it was something that was just in the neighborhood and accessible to people on a way that a larger, longer performance wouldn't be. So I also have, um, I'm hoping when she gets a little bit bigger that I can also do one or two of those a year just to give other people in the community also a chance to perform because being in Cleveland, which is an amazing community and I really like Cleveland. So I want to give Cleveland a shout out there, but it's, you know, it's not by the coast. It's not by the coast at all. We're like quite a ways away from New York or Philly or any of the East coast cities where you can get together. I think a little bit more easily with um, a larger scene and more performers like here in Cleveland, we have to just kind of like make our own opportunities a little bit more, which can be a bit on the challenging side, but it can also be very rewarding when it actually does work out. <laughs> right, for sure. Because on one yeah. hand, there it's 
you think about it, there's nothing to do or there are no events and there are no opportunities. But then when you have to go out somewhere, you're like, I'm tired. I don't want to get dressed. <laughs> and then yeah. and then you feel bad recruiting women for other events because every night, I mean, once it's dinner season, yeah. forget it. You're going out all the time. Uh, and that's It does get tiring. It's true. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I want to talk about your writing a little bit. And I just sure. want you to know my reflections on our conversation. You tend to start the conversation with saying, you know, not doing anything so much. What I'm doing is not so great or not so much or not anymore. And then you talk and then you're like, no, you're actually doing that and that and that. But if you package it from the beginning, yeah. it might make you feel better about all the stuff you're doing. Because we're so, we're so hard on ourselves. That's really true. And I spend a lot of time repackaging my thoughts because I am happy but once those negative thoughts start coming in if I don't repackage them into but hey look at all the stuff that is happening and I am doing and the positive and the positive and the positive and it's like the negative is like 20 minutes out of my morning and somehow I'm letting it dominate the entire day or the entire week that that's not fair that's I mean who does that to themselves except for us right but <laughs> I mean, right. call it Jewish women, add mother, add artist, like you're done. I, I think I think we have such high expectations for ourselves sometimes, you know, it's like... We do, especially if you're exposed to a mainstream world where classical musicians spend eight hours a day at least practicing. What do you mean yantif, three-day yantif? <laughs> like, exactly. That doesn't exist. Exactly. Yeah, so tell me about your writing. I just want to give a little prereq here. Uh, recently, a few months ago, you just did... 10 women you should follow or was that so first of all could you talk about that a little bit and then thank you so much for featuring me by the way I've been writing for over a decade and a lot of the writing that I've been doing has been like personal essays and just you know thoughts that I've had over you know being a mother and being a Jewish woman and being a creative person and thoughts on Judaism and thoughts on the community and thoughts on motherhood and art and all these things. <laughs> and I've spoken with some of my other writer friends that sometimes we get a little bit tired just talking about ourselves all these times in these personal, personal essays. Like, you know, 10 years is a lot of time. It's a long time to be writing just about myself. And so sometimes I like to take a look out and, yeah, just give some recognition and to give support to other creative Jewish women who are doing important things. And it's kind of like what you said earlier about, um, you know, with Atara and with just the support that Jewish creative women can give to each other. And I feel like there's uh, not such a large number of us. And so it's nice to give the support and to give the recognition and to shine the light outward a little bit and not always inward. And so that's one of the reasons why I decided to make that, make that list. And, um, in general, I've just really enjoyed writing. Like I said, it's something that it was easy for me to do when my kids were little and babies and I had all these sleeping babies and I couldn't play piano or play clarinets so easily. And I started writing and I started a blog Initially, I started a blog when I was in seminary because it was back in like 2006 
And at the time I had a lot of friends who were traveling abroad and they would always send these emails out with like all these really interesting details of what they were doing. And I would always delete the email without reading it and then feel a crushing amount of guilt for not reading this email that my friend had taken the time to send me, but I just didn't have time for it. And, or whatever, I wasn't prioritizing it. And so what I decided to do was I decided to start a blog. And then if anyone wanted to see what I was up to, they could come to my blog. They wouldn't have to feel guilty if they didn't read it. But if they were curious, they could come see it. And that would be that. And then when I got married, I changed the name of the blog and I continued it on as just a way to keep in touch with people who are far away from me and out of town because we, I moved to Memphis when we first got married. That's where we started off. And, you know, I didn't know anyone there and now my friends were in Memphis. And so it was just a way of keeping in touch. And then eventually I noticed that people who I didn't know were also reading my thoughts. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And it morphed into this whole thing where it was really a platform for me to explore all these different issues in Judaism and different issues that I was experiencing and different issues that the community was experiencing. And I wrote for Havria for a few years. I was a contributing editor there for a little while. And I had a lot of akarasatov to them because I was able to explore a lot of issues that not only had been bothering me, but bothered a lot of other people. And I feel like it was Writing is an incredible platform to kind of, it's like free therapy is basically what it is. It's like going to therapy, but. What are your top issues that you like talking about or discussing? I think Jewish thought and then also motherhood stuff, like stuff about work-life balance as a mother and as a Jewish mother, and then um, just different, either holidays in Judaism or like communal things like I wrote a piece once that was one of my favorite pieces I ever wrote it's called are you being from or are you being a shmata because sometimes we can think that we're supposed to be doing chesed for other people and we're always supposed to say yes to volunteering for organizations and we're also always supposed to say yes to making a meal for someone and we're always supposed to say yes to all of these things and we can end up so run down and we can end up not setting healthy boundaries for ourselves. and I think it's important 100% to do chesed in the community and to be involved and to look outside yourself and to give to other people. I think that's a very helpful thing, but I think also we should remember that we have to take care of ourselves first. You know, the whole thing, you have to fill your own cup before you can fill someone else's cup. If you're on the airplane, you put your own oxygen mask on first before putting someone else's oxygen mask on. And... I found a lot of people I knew were just feeling really, really burnt out and also kind of like letting people walk all over them because, you know, we're supposed to give the benefit of the doubt, of course, to people. But one of my Rebbitsons told me once, but you're not supposed to turn yourself into a pretzel. If someone's kind of being a jerk, well, they might just be a jerk. And you don't have to always give someone the benefit of the doubt if they're not behaving nicely. And there is a thing that, you know, if someone does an established behavior, then you can assume that that's going to be their behavior. And so it was important for me to write about just making sure that we're not letting our good intentions and the beautiful parts of our religion kind of make things inadvertently worse for us. So like, that's an example of something that I would write about, like kind of like mm, issues that I would that I myself had worked through that I would be hopeful that would maybe help someone else also if they were going through a similar thing. Yeah, definitely. So what's next for you? I feel like you're not done. You have ideas. You have, <laughs> you have your, you know, my oldest is 10, but when, 
you know, my kids are a certain age, you have certain ideas and vision for the. I have so many ideas. I have all the ideas. So tell us some of the things just so you could be a little bit accountable for when you listen back in a couple of years. Perfect. Um, something I would like to do, something that's on my bucket list. I'm turning 40 next year. So it's on my bucket list of things to do before I turn 40. Um, although I'm not sure if I'll be able to, whatever. It's on my bucket list. And I want to make a CD of just original clarinet music. I have already three songs that I've written and have recorded, so I would like to re-record them, um, of just like original music for clarinet and piano and percussion. And so I want to finish that and put that out. So I need to write a few more songs, which I really, really enjoy. And I get a lot of chias from that. And I would also like to put together a show that I could actually go and just perform you know, I would like to find some other musicians to collaborate with regularly. I have some musicians that I do collaborate with um, from time to time, and I always appreciate playing with them. But I'd like to do something a little bit more um, kavua, a little bit more regular. And I'd like to continue writing for bigger places. I'd like to do a memoir. You see what I mean? I have all these ideas. <laughs> <laughs> the big ideas don't happen, um, you know, Overnight. Not overnight, but they don't happen like you schedule it for a certain date and then this happens. It's like, okay, this is a project. I must look at it and I, I, I've reframed what I do more as academia because it's like a lifetime of working on something and you hit certain marks at certain point, but it's not like you exit a startup or you go you go public with your company. Right. It's nothing like that. So I, I would consider myself an academia in terms of the lifestyle. I love that. <laughs> it, it, it's a lot of validation, even though I don't consider myself an academic. But I, I, can, I can see how it's similar to like doing a dissertation or writing a research paper. Exactly. Or something like that. Yeah. Yes. You're working on something over a long period of time that takes a lot of emotional energy. And Discipline. you can't just do it overnight. It's something that... It's a process. Exactly. And we didn't speak about the speaking part. What do you speak about and where do you go around speaking? Ah, so this is something that it's been so interesting because I had no intention of starting to do this. It just kind of started happening. And so I'm rolling with it. I was invited to speak at um, a local high school a few years ago for Shavuos because, you know, because of my story and my background, they asked if I would feel comfortable speaking about, you know, how I came to Judaism, why I found it intriguing. It was for Shavuos, which is, of course, you know, the time of year when we often think about conferences. It's like, woo, so interesting. So I said, okay, I'll try it, whatever. And I tried it. And thank God I got a lot of really good feedback. They said the girls were really interested. Fine. So I spoke again for Beis Yaakov Convention when it was here. And I had spoken a couple of times. And then one of my friends asked me if I would write a piece for Jew in the City. And I wrote that piece about, you know, how I found Judaism. And a big part of how I started learning about Judaism was I was reading articles on H.com. A lot, a lot, a lot of H.com articles. I found them very helpful. And the um, editor-in-chief of H.com, Rev. Nehemia Coopersmith, so he saw that article and he asked me if I would come and speak at um, the Age Partners Conference last November, so like a year ago. And so I said, um, uh, hmm. I said, sure, fine, let's do it. I asked my husband, I was like, is this crazy? Should I try this? And he's like, yeah, try it. Why, why not? It was in LA. So, you know, 
Cleveland is not the warmest place, so any opportunity to go to a warmer climate from the Cleveland winter, I am happy to take. Did they fly you in and pay you? Yeah. They did. And so I spoke, and it was very surreal. Like, Charlie Harari introduced me, and it was, like, it was a very surreal experience. It was a very wonderful experience. And I myself got an intre- a, a lot of inspiration just from being at the Shabbaton. I was nervous to speak, but it was only like a 10-minute slot, so it was very easy to prepare for. Um, I just practiced the speech for 10 minutes, so I found that not so intimidating. And um, I got a very good feedback, so that was also nice. And, oh, oh. and since then, I, thank God, have had a few more engagements. I went to St. Louis to speak. I'm going um, in November to the... Project Inspire retreat to speak, and I'm so the the things I've spoke on was like my inspiring personal story, which I always find a little bit surreal. Also, it's like just my life. For our listeners out there, you are doing air quotes exactly. But I started also giving speeches that are kind of like um, a class, like similar to things that I've been writing about for the ten years. So talking about things that I hope people find inspiring, like using your unique abilities that God gave you and use and getting a more enriching life by using the abilities you have. And, um, I'm giving a talk on being an individual within the community because, you know, Judaism is very communal religion. And sometimes people can feel like they need to lose themselves in order to be part of the community. But really Judaism is uh, also a religion that celebrates the individual. And so talking about how we can find that healthy balance. So I'm kind of developing a set of speeches, so to speak, that are talking about those issues, about hopefully helping people just have an even better life than they already have is my is my goal. Do you speak for mixed audiences? Yes, I do. And are you happy with what communities and places are paying you to come speak? Yeah, I mean, I am. I'm also just starting out, so I'm still slowly navigating. I've been asking a lot of advice from people like, how much should I charge for a Shabbaton? How much should I charge for this? And keeping in mind that I'm still very new and not as experienced as, you know, established speakers. And so I'm, I'm navigating, but I'm, I'm very happy with myself that I am asking the advice and that I am valuing my time and my work in a way that I feel is appropriate for my level of experience right now. Because when I first started performing music in the firm community, I would do like everything for free. And Ruchi Koval had told me once, you know, she said, women tend to undervalue themselves and we tend to give away our time for free. And really, we shouldn't. We should always value ourselves, and we should charge, and we should make sure that we're getting um, fairly – the what's the word I'm looking for? Fair market value. Yeah, you know, that we should be getting paid. And I know that it's not as easy in the firm community because, like you said, there's so many – I feel like we do tend to get underpaid as musicians at least because there's not maybe enough understanding of how much it, it takes and how much time goes into preparation. Whenever I play um, for the day schools, whenever I um, am playing for like kindergarten, chumash parties and sitter plays and preschool graduations, which I do, um, I make sure I charge also for whatever preparation time I have to do to prepare the music. And I make sure I tell them like, this is all of the, this is everything. I charge, I charge a very low rate because it's my kid's school and I feel like whatever. I'd rather have them spend money on like teachers than on me. But at the same time, I do try to really make sure that I'm getting paid for all of the time that I put in, not just rehearsals, but anything at home that I have to do in preparation for the rehearsals. That's very smart. And another thought that just popped into my head, the more we value our time to people who hire us, 
the more we're putting the value on our time when we're with our children, our children will understand that our time is so valuable. If people want me away from you, that's how much I have to pay. Look, that's who I'm choosing to spend my time with. See how, <laughs> look what value you're getting out of me. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, you know, if your time is cheap, then your kids are like, I don't want you. Even I don't think children think that about their parents. But I think it's something the children pick up. Pick up on. Exactly. Yeah, that you value yourself and that your time and you take yourself and your talent seriously. For sure, it'll trickle down to them. It'll be something that they will learn to internalize as well. Yeah, so we have to wrap up. This was such a fun conversation. I feel like we've talked about a lot of different topics, all connected, obviously. Yeah, it was great talking to you. So nice. This was so fun, and I hope you guys enjoyed listening to this. And we had the baby here in the background, if you haven't noticed yet. Thank you for being patient. And where can we find you? Um, you can find me. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram a little bit more than I'm on Facebook. My blog is lifeinthemarriedlane.com. But you can just Google Ribkey Silver blog and that'll pick it up. And I have some things on YouTube that some music that I've done and some videos that I've done. So you can check those out on my YouTube channel. And I think that's that's pretty much it. You know, my email is around. You can always email me. I'm on WhatsApp. So I, I'm all the places. So I love connecting with people and I love collaborating with people and I love connecting. So I'm always happy to hear from people. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Rifki. Thank you. Wish you the best of luck. May I give you some criticism? I feel like I'm not allowed to do that, but I will do that. I've recently been looking at the podcast reviews I have and most of them are left by the guests on the show. And I'm so happy and thrilled and thankful that the guests on the show are leaving such great reviews. However, I need my audience, I need you to write a review and for you to share this podcast with other people. Why are you listening? Why are you enjoying this? Why do you keep coming back? <laughs> I'm not chasing you away. I just want this platform to grow so the guests on our show can get more reach, more exposure and bring more awareness. So tell someone about this podcast today and tomorrow. Share it on your social media. And as mentioned before, if you're interested in helping produce the show or be a guest host, please reach out to me as well. This is so exciting. Thanks for being with me here on this journey. Have a great week. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.